scientism is not science. It's a dangerous and self-refuting philosophy that fixates on means but ignores wisdom. Dr. Angus Manoj of the Evangelical Philosophical Society talking about his presentation at the 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And it leads to the abolition of man as man is reduced to a material object. It's used as a weapon by atheists and skeptics to attack religion as a source of knowledge. It begins with Bacon's dictum, knowledge is power, but it overlooks the way in which power corrupts. You can meet and hear Dr. Angus Manoj making the case against scientism at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 8th and Saturday, June 9th, 15 miles east of St. Louis in Collinsville, Illinois. You'll find a list of speakers, topics, and registration information at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 8th and 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, I call mental illness if I'm not correct. Christians believe that God talks to them through his word. This is a basic Christian belief and not something that really should be held up for mocking or ridicule. Conservatives in America believe in limited government. Fascists believe in unlimited government. Conservatives tend to believe in objective morality fascists rejected death is to wander away from the home of your father death is losing the home he prepared for you to live in death is exiling yourself from his embrace and his love this is tony from upstate south carolina and ltl freight haulers love issues etc i imagine they're a lot of explanations for it the turmoil the the social strife the inability to tolerate ideas that are even slightly different than your own the constant moving of the goalposts when it comes to things like the sexual revolution especially as it's been embraced by people younger people today college students and things like that all bets are off the rules not only no longer exist, they change day to day. It's, well, some have called it insanity, but maybe it's just an inability to think straight. No one seems capable of thinking straight. They can't think about their own ideas in a simple way, and therefore they really can't conceive of ideas other than their own in the same way. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's part 14 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressive secularism. Today we're going to be talking about teaching problem solving, discernment, and learning. Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest. After our conversation with him concludes, we'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on God creating the world in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us for part one of a series on men, women, and marriage. He's author of the booklet, Two Views of the World, a brief look at how and why men and women communicate. You can join us for the next two hours with your questions and your comments. Our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Twitter address, at issuesetc. And the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. Joining us for part 14 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Today we'll talk about teaching problem-solving discernment and learning. 
Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of a radio program called Sharper Iron, author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Good afternoon. Do you think part of the reason for the turmoil that we see among young people today, uh, angry, um, just kind of out of their minds over the slightest things, do you think part of that comes from the fact that these young people as children were not taught, as my dad says, to think straight? I think that is part of it. It's not that there is no thinking whatsoever going on. Uh, People have an ability, it seems, to kind of categorize or compartmentalize where they want to think. But certainly in a lot of the areas of, of life, the current generation has been raised with an inability to problem solve because there seems to be a, a belief that there aren't any problems or there shouldn't be. Or if we just shout down the problems, the problems ought to die and go away and leave us alone. And so there is something to that, something to a loss of, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, the classical mind and the way that uh, 100, 200 years ago, Western civilization believed pretty heavily in logic as a path to fixing things. Now, as Christians talk about teaching problem-solving to their children or teaching learning to their children, it's not all about fixing things. But neither is it not about that at all. And We've talked about this a little bit before, how you really have at, at least two different realms in which the Christian must both live and raise a child to live in. And in one of those realms, wisdom, discernment, understanding, this is all Jesus. This is all the cross. This is all bloodshed for you. This is learning to believe what God has promised you in your baptism, regardless of what's going on in the world. But in the other realm, we still live in this Ten Commandment-designed fallen paradise, where there's rules, and these rules work. And, and one of these rules is order and logic. I would tie that to the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. But as that commandment kind of expands from that central reality of the family, it is a, it shows us or reveals to us a, an entire first article, an entire created order that has a system to it. And in this, broken as it is, there is also a goodness that's designed into that, which involves problem solving. And so I'm, I'm going to go maybe a little crazy here and say that even before the fall, God designed man and woman to problem-solve. This is why he blessed them and made them stewards of the earth. It wasn't that the problem's there, though, so the, the problem is the word problem. Yeah, we, we hear pre-fall problem, we think, well, broken or mistake or fallen. No, no, not like that. But creativity, right, or expression or growth or design, these are things that we were given to do. Now, in the fallen world, we get the added unbenefit of rust and moth and everything falling apart. But still, the, the design is there. And there is a, a, there is a goodness in seeing the chaos which is and wanting to have it be less chaotic, to, to, to strive to put it back together. And what you said earlier about the kind of thoughtlessness of the, if we call them, maybe call them the snowflake personality, the one who just wants to be a snowflake, accept me for as I am. I mean, there's, there's some hurt there that I don't want to dismiss probably. But at the same time, there is a, a, an unbelief in the problem, an unbelief in the chaos and a wanting to make it go away 
without actually doing anything to make it go away. And I would say that the task of Christians and the task of, of teaching our children is to teach them not to buckle like that, uh, close your eyes and scream at the chaos and, and uh, think it should submit to you as if you're, as if you're God. You're not the one who gets to quiet the storm with your voice. But, but instead, to take up arms. And I don't mean necessarily fight with a sword, although police officers do that, you know, combat officers do that. But to take up the arms of your hands and your mind and to apply them to the problems and fix them. And a big part of that then is learning in and of itself. And this is where I'm kind of going off a little bit here, Todd, but I really wish I had thought to start our series with this. I think maybe it wouldn't have been the first one, but it would have been way up in the early ones we had done because so much of what we've talked about is really about how do we teach our children to learn? How do we teach our children to take steps to go beyond what they just did yesterday and be more than they were leading toward a life lived in vocation, right, service to others. There's something very, very good in this, and yet our, our culture, as you point out, it really isn't wanting to train anybody to think in this way, yet I would I would advocate that there are those who, who are not buying it out there, not just Christians. There are others out there that, that think there's something to this uh, war against the chaos. So why would you direct us first in Scripture when we talk about teaching discernment or problem-solving or or even just learning, to Proverbs chapter 2. Because it's kind of where these two realms of wisdom combine, I think. Uh, Proverbs as a book, particularly, is a book where wisdom has both of these meanings. It, it, it is, or he is, she is, uh, grammatically speaking, in, in Proverbs 8, but, but Jesus is wisdom in the book. And yet the book doesn't just kind of like stop there. It teaches, he teaches, that while wisdom is personified as the, the Godhead, right, wisdom is also what is right to do with your hands. What is the good or the discerning path for you to follow as you walk with your steps in the age that you see before you? And Proverbs 2, then, is a great call to this. It asks you to be hungry for this. It appeals to you to believe that it's not just all random chance out there. And even though there is such a thing as some you know, tragedy, things that are unexpected that you can't stop, nonetheless, that's, that's not every day. Every day, in fact, is ruled by wisdom, by do the right thing and get the right result from that. And, and in this, too, we were talking about you know, the, the, a culture which has sort of thrown up its hands and said, well, you can't really learn anything. Now, that, we don't believe that in Silicon Valley, right? Of course we believe you can learn stuff and make the computers go faster. But we're talking about like your social life or, or your moral person, your character. We, we've kind of thrown up our hands and said, well, there's nothing you can do. You know, it all just kind of falls where it does. I am who I am. Love me for who I am and all this. I think that Christians are sometimes, without really realizing it, getting a little of that by osmosis. So that when we're raising our children, we raise them in sort of the, well, just give them space to grow and it'll, they'll all come around mentality. As opposed to Proverbs 2 challenges us to say, say to the child, right? Desire wisdom. Hunger for learning. Seek this better thing, this better way, right? Because the Lord, God himself, this verse 6 here, he gives wisdom. It's his gift. And this is about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Yes, it is. But it's also about the entire Trinity, which means it's also about the first article created world in which we live. And it's also about the assembled community of believers who love those Ten Commandments and pray for their fulfillment even as we wait together for the end of the world. The Lord gives this wisdom, both law and gospel. 
from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now listen, just let all these nouns drip into your ears here. Knowledge, understanding, uprightness, integrity, the paths of justice, right? Then, once you seek this, once you believe that this is something worth hungering for, verse 9 says you will understand righteousness and equity and every good path, and knowledge will be pleasing to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, to who walk in the ways of darkness and rejoice in doing evil. So, that isn't just... Teach your children to love the sacrament. It's that too. Don't get me wrong. I'm the last guy in the world I want anybody here saying, you know, the gospel but. That's, that's not what I'm saying. The gospel for sure, right? It's, it's what this Christianity thing is all about. We then live as Christians still in this gray and latter age of darkness where the design is flawed and we don't just live it because we live it from our hearts. But as Christians, we are awakened to see it and to pursue it and to desire more of it. And, and part of that then is knowing what we don't know, and knowing that it can be pursued. God has hidden some things, but it is given for us to seek them out and to find them. And that is the the lifelong journey of learning and problem solving, right? Finding the puzzle around you that your mind and your hand and your heart desires to fix, desires to put together. And sometimes this is a real problem. Sometimes it's not a problem at all. It's, it's a great joy to, to pursue that. But then the question for me, at least as a father, is how do I inspire this in my children? Particularly, and this is kind of a different direction to go if, if you want with the conversation, but particularly in an information age where the economy of we suburban middle-class Americans is changing around us in such a way that if we just raise our children to kind of be day laborers, they're going to get blown away by a, an entire planet that is more committed, more diligent, and less lazy than we are. We have to have, if we want our children to succeed in the, in the next century, they have to be thinkers. They have to be leaders. They have to be problem solvers. They have to be inspirers, right? And so how do you inspire in your child? Not, I just want to paint pictures. You should like them because I'm an artist. No, that, that's not it. Right. But how do we inspire the child to discover the gifts that give them drive and then use those gifts to make a better world? Right. And they are positioned as Americans, suburban Americans in, in this present age to actually have some tools to do that. Yeah. But we have to we have to see that and teach them how to grasp it and teach them how to want it, not just to want a job so I can punch the clock and get some money, but to want a job so that I can. And this is just Luther language, right? Serve my neighbor. Part of that then means getting better at serving my neighbor. And that means learning how to learn and learn how to love problem solving. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part 14 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Today, we're talking about teaching problem solving and Learning's host radio program called Sharper Iron, author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. When we come back, discernment itself assumes that there's something outside yourself to discern, that you don't create reality. We'll talk about that after this. Memorial Press now offers six levels of the Simply Classical curriculum for students with special needs. 
These full-year curriculum packages for children with learning challenges enable you to teach reading, writing, arithmetic, art, poetry, science, history, Latin, literature, and Christian studies with incremental classical methods. Visit classicalspecialneeds.com and enter promo code LPR17 to save on resources for your home or school. You can meet and hear Hank Hanegraaff, Hans Feeney, Scott Klusendorf, Craig Parton, Will Whedon, Angus Manuge, and Jonathan Fisk at the 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 8th and Saturday, June 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. Collinsville is 15 miles east of St. Louis. Early bird registration is $110. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 8th and 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. Essential exercise for the Christian mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. When pastors talk about us, they call us ad crucem. When laity mention us, they speak of ad crucem. When non-Lutherans address us, they say ADC Rucam. But no matter how you say it, Ad Crucem is the place to go for greeting cards, artwork, jewelry, ornaments, housewares, church certificates, church banners, and all your gift-buying needs. Visit adcrucem.com, confessing the faith through art and word. A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Thanks to generous supporters, tuition for all incoming residential pastoral ministry and deaconess students at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, will be paid in full. Hi, this is Dr. Lawrence Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess in the 2018-19 academic year at CTSFW. Edu. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know if you know what I mean. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Today, teaching problem solving discernment and learning, Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. The good life is the theme of the March issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine. It contains columns from Issues Etc., regular guest Pastor Matt Harrison, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, Pastor Will Whedon, and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Find out more at cph.org slash witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. Pastor Fisk, we were talking before about discernment, and it struck me that discernment assumes that there is a world, that there's a reality, objective reality, outside me to be discerned, to be understood. You said like the puzzle around me to be solved. Uh, That sadly is not what is being taught in the prevailing worldview of many young people today. What's being taught is you kind of create your own reality, you create your own truth as you go. Respond to that, if you would. Well, yeah, even the, the music as we came back in, right? I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know, if you know what I mean. It has a very sad contentedness with being ignorant, as opposed to, and, and this is so interesting to me, that, that in Eastern philosophy, Buddhism particularly, but other forms of Eastern religion, their great gurus will say things like, the first step of knowing is to know that you know nothing. But they don't really mean by that that you can never know anything. They mean that that's where you start, right? And then and then you get better. The white belt has a white belt because they've not got anything yet. 
But the plan is not to stay a white belt. Now, there's a point at which the black belt, and this is kind of a cool little thing, you get all the way up to the black belt, and then you wear it for so long that the color fades and it becomes white again. So you do learn that you're always in need of to learn more. But that still doesn't mean you know nothing. They don't let white belts teach class. <laughs> and a black belt in, of several different disciplines is definitely going to be respected for good reason. So, yeah, th- we, there seems to be, not seems to be, definitely is, in the current age, a willful neglect of the ability to know. What's perhaps weirder than that is how, again, we've categorized or compartmentalized that. So again, if you go and you want to work in Silicon Valley making processors or developing something that's better than the the iPhone or whatever, right? There is no question that you better know certain things and you better be better than other people at those things and you got to be constantly improving on that. The self-help stuff and the business stuff and the entrepreneurship stuff, there's there's tons of money going through that stuff every year for good reason because it does require learning, yeah? And yet we want to say that that's how things apply to so quote-unquote science per se. We put it in that category. But then when we get to something like relationships, you know, how does, and, and get away from just man and woman for a second and get to, you know, man and man, and how do we even engage each other society-wise? We want to say, well, those things, I know, you know, who's, who am I to judge? There are no rules here. There is no knowledge here. And yet even as we want to say that, no one really lives that way. Right? And this is, has stunned me again and again. As much as we want to say that sex is just a thing you can do, whatever, it has no impact, go ahead and love whoever you want, be with whoever you want to be, the moment that a boyfriend cheats on a girlfriend, everyone's mad. You know, it, it, well, wait a minute. Which one is it, right? Which one are we are we holding on to here? Uh, so, yes, uh, you have to have a, a, an actual reality outside of you. It is there, whether you ignore it or not or pretend it's not or scream at it that it's got to go away or that it's rude or whatever or not. It's still going to be there. And the real step to making that chaos, if you do believe it's chaos and it's wrong, the first step to making it less chaos is to know what it really is. If you want to move the pieces, you have to be able to name those pieces. You have to label those pieces. You have to define those pieces. And then you can start to know what they're good for, what they're not good for, and put them into their proper order and their proper place. Now, interestingly, I think this dovetails very nicely into this idea of the classical mind or classical education, which I know you've had some some guests on recently about this, and they're definitely more equipped than I am to speak about it as a whole. But the, the first step of classical education is to see the child as one who knows really nothing. And before they can even learn to understand, that's where a lot of American education, and and I might even say a lot of Sunday school thinking, wants our children to understand before they actually have the pieces to use to understand. Classical education says the first step is you got to tell them about the pieces. And there is no understanding the pieces. There are simply the pieces. There is this, there is that. They do these things, they don't do these things, right? This is called the grammar stage. It's the building blocks. This is where, uh, if you're old enough, you have horrible memories of being forced to to memorize Latin conjugations at age six or whatever. And, oh, it was so awful, it was so bad. Yeah, but you learned Latin. <laughs> you know? It, and you were they, it was taking advantage of a time in your life where you were really, really good at memorizing stuff. Whereas I have a buddy right now, you put it shift from Latin to piano, a buddy right now who's trying to learn piano for the third time as an adult. And it's, you know, it's very, very challenging to train the muscles in the mind at that point in a certain way. Just, just the absorption of, of the building blocks to learn any new skill as an adult is, is challenging for that reason. So 
the first step of learning, though, is to see those blocks for what they are. And then as a parent, now, if we're going to apply this to Christian parenting, to recognize you have a, you have a window for this, right? It's right up till age six or so. So, you know, it kind of depends on the kids. Some are going to move faster. Some are going to move slower. But you have a, a window in which they are they are capable of absorbing factual truths. And your task as a parent is to give them those factual truths, not necessarily to make sure they understand all of those truths. This is where having a Sunday school curriculum in which you strive to memorize the catechism and memorize some hymns and memorize some Bible verses, right? And it doesn't mean like you send them home with homework. This means you just repeat it a lot with them over and over again until they remember it. And kids are really amazing at that. You know, this is setting up the process for then learning how to give logic, which is the next step. Logic is where you take those pieces and you put them together and you say, do they fit? Do they not fit? Right? You have the law of non-contradiction. That's what logic is. That something either fits or it doesn't. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. It's not rocket science here, right? But learning to apply it (laughs) to the world around you is rocket science. That's how you get to rocket science. You never get there without logic. And logic, again, you know, from a, a child between six, seven, somewhere in there, up until the lower high school range, they're able to see, if you say the sky is purple, they're able to say, no, no, you're crazy. It's not purple. It's blue, obviously. So they're beginning to be able to criticize a little bit, illogic, and to see how arguments line up. What they're not quite ready to do is start formulating their own complete arguments, their own entrepreneurial problem-solving mentality. And that's that final era or age of rhetoric. And it goes, it goes past that as well. There's a, there's more study beyond this. But at the rhetoric stage, you move past just having the logic to now how do I take the, the whole logic tool and begin to go beyond what's been done with it and make my own idea. But what we have today that you kind of described earlier is I want to just come up with my own idea without any of the logic or the, or the grammar in the first place, without any of the building blocks or the, the law of non-contradiction. I just want to say stuff and have it be true and compel the world to submit to me. And again, as bad as that is, I'm thankful that at this point, my read on society is it only really exists in the moral realm. For the most part, we're still running systems <laughs> based on logic, because the day we start trying to apply this stuff to science, uh, we're going to have not a lot of power or heat in the winter and not much food on the table, because nothing's going to work anymore. Let's talk about, you know, we mentioned the classical mind. Let's, let's if you would, talk about healthy skepticism in the life of our children. We want them, I don't think we need to teach them to be skeptics, but skepticism and doubt is very useful in everyday life. It's, it's poison to the study of God's word, but in everyday life in the left-hand kingdom, so to speak, skepticism and doubt, especially when one is learning, is very, very useful. Yeah, and in some ways, and this, this is so hard, I remember being mad at other parents that I would watch before I was a parent. And I'm never going to do that. And then now, now I, I do it. But it, the child knows how to doubt in a healthy way. They do it like this. They say, why? That's what they do. They say, why? That, that's a doubt. It's a very healthy doubt. It's a doubt which says, I don't see how the logic works yet. So please tell me. Yeah. As opposed to skepticism, the, the way you're describing it, which I would agree is not helpful. This is just doubt for doubt's sake wanting to be disagreeably doubtful or, or to just reject ideas because or tear down or deconstruct or whatever. And, and, and yeah, we don't need to encourage that too much. We, we need to encourage that when the answer is clear, the answer is clear. But to accept the child's doubt and also teach the child to, to see that as a good thing, that curiosity, in a sense, is a form of doubt in, in that regard, and, and to embrace that and to be able to 
kind of own the doubt, not as a final answer, but as the beginning to finding the answer. One of the challenges in my own experience teaching confirmation is the kids kind of come in and they have this expectation. I don't know where they get it, but this expectation that they're not allowed to have questions about the Bible. Not that they don't, but that, that they're afraid to. They're afraid that if they say why, Jesus, why God the Father, you know, why the New Testament, that somehow this is not allowed to be done in church. This is going to call into question everything. And, and what I want to encourage them to, to, to know is that you're not really going to believe it until you ask why. You're, you're not going to have embraced it or learned to be convicted by it. In that regard, you even do want to be able to critique it. If the pastor stands up and says something from Scripture, and he points at Scripture, but it makes no sense whatsoever. It's a good thing to be able to say, Pastor, that didn't make any sense. Now, maybe he says, you're right, the Trinity never makes sense. It's revealed from God. There's not much we can do about it. But, hey, it's awesome, right? That's one thing. Yeah. But it's another thing where if he can't explain to you why murder is bad, right, <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't understand it, or why adultery, why adultery is not good, as opposed to, well, God said so, so deal with it, right? Or one of the places I've seen this a lot is in liturgical practice. There are more than a few Lutherans out there that do the liturgy because that's the way you do it. But that's a really bad reason to do the liturgy. <laughs> a good reason to do the liturgy is because it fills a need. It, it solves a problem. It brings an answer. But you're not gonna, you're not gonna really love that answer till you know the question, if I can say it that way. And so, to doubt, to ask why, to learn to critique a bad argument is the first step in discovery. Yeah, to find the problem so that you might find the solution. And in that regard, to begin to embrace that whole process. And so we do want to teach our children to, to, to see what doubt is good for and to make use of it. And I'm not talking about, I should really caveat this, I'm not talking about Christian doubt in the sense of unbelief. Although you're going to have that too if we understand the saint and sinner reality. But I'm not going to call that good, right? The, the flesh and the flesh's doubts is not good. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that recognition that I don't understand, and so I, I can't embrace it yet. But it doesn't mean that there is no understanding. It means I have more to find. And so I need to go out and find it and discover it. And so you, teacher, if you're a teacher, you're here to help me do that. And if you can't help me do that, well, you're not much of a teacher, right? And that at the same time, the teacher's here to help me learn how to find it on my own, help me to learn how to learn. So that once I'm kind of out of the nest, as it were, I still have the skill set to be able to go and find those answers. And I, we live in an amazing time for that. I can't tell you how many times my kids ask me a question. I say, well, let's ask Dr. Google. You know, let's, let's go find out. Uh, but to encourage the use of those tools in a healthy way, and Google's not the end-all be-all by far, but let's go to the library and find out. Uh, let's, let's start a project and discover this thing, right? To teach children to do that, to grow begins with allowing them to have those why question mark doubts. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. He's host of a radio show called Sharper Iron, author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules that Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. When we come back with him, continuing our conversation on teaching problem-solving discernment and learning in our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism, we'll talk about teaching conviction. Test. We 
want to be honest about what the problems are. We want to know what our enemy's doing. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Scott Murray, editor of the new book, The Gates of Hell, Confessing Christ in a Hostile World. But on the other hand, this is no time for despair. Well, why? Because Christ himself, the Lord of the Church, promises that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Learn more about the gates of hell at issuesetc.org. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. Issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. Relevant worship isn't about trying to look and act like the rest of the world to appeal to the culture around us. But relevant worship is about Christ. Hope Lutheran Church of Birmingham brings you truly relevant worship, where sinners gather to hear God's word and receive his gifts of forgiveness and peace. Visit us online at hopebham.org. That's hopebham.org. Or give us a call at 205-956-1930. We'll see you Sunday. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. Providing artillery support. For the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. How was school today, kids? Crazy. Hector's charioteer got hit by a stone, and his eyes fell out into the dust before him there at his feet. Hmm. Sounds like Patroculus was being hot-tempered, rude, and quarrelsome again. He always is. Dad, what's for supper? I don't know yet. Supper is such a problem. If it's a problem, you can use the scientific method to figure it out. Problem? We want supper. Hypothesis? I think Dad will make tacos. Actually, I was thinking about spaghetti. Tacos or spaghetti? False dichotomy! Is this the after-school conversation of your dreams? Registration is now open for the 2018-19 school year at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois, the only classical Lutheran school in the St. Louis area. Hey, Dad, how did my violin practice sound? Kiddo, it sounded epic. Learn more at school.stpaulhamel.org. School.stpaulhamel.org. What is wisdom? What is beauty? What is nature? What is duty? Taught everything I know to this next guy. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. We're talking about teaching problem-solving discernment and learning. You wanted to talk about teaching conviction as well. What's that all about, Jonathan? It's the other half of doubt, right? You mentioned how skepticism is not really the aim, and the skeptic is the one who, well, at least when it comes to some things, has no conviction or refuses to. Refuses to have a truly open-minded doubt, 
that says why and then seeks and finds an answer which is convicting, which becomes a, a certainty. So there was a nice commercial there a moment ago about you know the hypothesis and the and the scientific method for finding out dinner right, and the music as we went away was about creating a test to find out something. So when your doubts are well placed, when they're good why questions, and then you use the tools of grammar and logic to discover an answer, and you find that answer, and the answer proves itself to be true again and again. Now the result ought to be conviction. That is a belief that there is an actual truth of the matter. And this is where the philosophers and the scientists really aren't buddies these days, although they, they kind of want to play like they are, right? Uh, but they really aren't. Science says that there is a truth, at least an observable one, one which we can test and have be repeated enough that we can rely on it. Now, there's levels at which the, even science itself doesn't understand everything, get into quantum physics and all that kind of stuff, but, but the general rule still applies, that there are things that can be known. And conviction, then, is the healthy growth into knowing. Not in a, a rigid way which closes the mind and never asks why again, but asks new and even further, deeper why questions on the basis of the conviction which has, which has come to pass. And I don't know that I can, I can pull this directly into Christianity from the conversation that we're having, but certainly Christianity in itself is a matter of conviction. It's a matter of coming to believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, historically risen from the dead for our justification. And that happens after a few why questions are answered. But once it does, and once it becomes clear that this this is a historical event that took place, uh, now it's a conviction. Uh, once it becomes clear that the answer to your problems is not more self-justification, but forgiveness. Well, now uh, this is something you can't ever leave behind again, right? It's something that you want to build upon and go further with. And so, and that's that's a little bit of a, a shoehorn there to, to get that in in that way. But the task of the Christian parent, again, as we are trying to teach learning, as we are trying to teach problem solving itself, doesn't stop with doubt, but moves on and, and helps the answers which are found to the why questions become convictions that become really worldview blocks, uh, identity markers that drive the mind even further to greater why questions, which will drive to even greater convicted answers. So that as a Christian, let's just put this in, in one example. Let's say you're just, a, you make bricks, for for example, and, and you find a new way to make bricks because you've been making bricks your whole life and you're not happy with how they fall apart. And so you find a better way to make bricks. Now, if you're, if, as a Christian, you are free and even driven to want to give those bricks to everybody, to want to sell those bricks to everybody because you want them to have the best bricks, right? You want this, uh, the next era of houses all to be made in this better way. That's a really healthy thing. That's, that's the ambition in the best sense of the word, right? It's not all about me. It is, in fact, about the greater world around me. And so as, as Christians, we want to raise our children, teach our children in such a way to see that learning itself is for that kind of a future. It doesn't mean we're going to end disease or poverty or, or get rid of the problems of this world. Uh, no no way around that. There's still going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be typos no matter what you do. I don't know. Which is worse, the keyboard or the Google Voice? They're bo they both make a lot of mistakes. But that doesn't mean that we give up our battle against the chaos. Because the, the, the certain thing that happens if you say, well, can't do anything about it, is it's going to get worse. Uh, if you stop defending the city, and then the city falls apart. And conviction is the belief that I can defend the city. I should defend the city. Even I want to. I'm, I'm driven to defend 
the city. Is this teaching that we engage in with our children, these, these things we instill in them early, is it also preparation for them not only to continue a lifelong of learning, but to learn to correct where they themselves have been wrong before, that they, there's an openness to learning even up to and including changing your mind about certain things that you thought were true. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's what true humility is. And I don't think this is just a Christian thing. I mean, this is what, again, the Buddha really was getting after when he talks about knowing what I do not know. It's not a there's nothing to know. It's a learning itself is a good thing. I would rather, well, I, this is the way the Proverbs say it, you know, rebuke a wise man and he will thank you for it. Yeah. The wise man wants to be right, not for its, well, yeah, not for his sake, but for the rightness's sake. And it's the fool who would want to be right for his own sake, so he can say, I'm right. right? Instead, the wise man just loves the truth. He, he loves what it is. And so in that way, his mind is more than open to be wrong on matters. And you could even go into Christianity with this a little bit here. You know, I, 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 apologetics will teach that Christianity is really the only falsifiable religion because we're the only one with a test. And again, that test is the resurrection of Jesus. And so if Jesus is not risen from the dead, as Paul says, we're still in our sins. And so, you know, I'm open. <laughs> it scares me to say this, but I'm open to being corrected on whether or not Christianity is true. you got to produce the body of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you can produce the actual body of Jesus of Nazareth, I got to change what I believe, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't like that idea, but I am going to be honest enough to say it's a possibility. But see, I, the flip side of this is just as true. If you can't find the body of Jesus of Nazareth and all of the evidence points not to a stolen body or a swoon theory or that kind of garbage, well, then there's something else going on here, right? Right. So, so you would want your counter argument or the debater to be just as open to having truth prevail. And this is where then as Christians with our religion, we can be open to being corrected while also being convicted that tr the truth of Christianity is going to stand. The gates of hell are not going to prevail uh, against it. That There is not going to be a hole poked in our history, much less in the, the Ten Commandments or, or the work of the Holy Spirit to redeem us and sustain us to the end. But that that humility which is able to enter the debate without being pedantic toward others about it, and to even be corrected on various matters, what those matters could be. I mean, they really could be anywhere from my own understanding of a particular text of Scripture uh, to how I live my life, right? Uh, that is a, a high-end virtue, uh, probably connected a bit to the very, the very idea of charity itself, uh, patience as well. And learning to learn, learning to problem-solve, is about the, the marriage of doubt and conviction in a person who believes in truth but believes he's not the source of truth. But that doesn't mean you can't, you can't find it, you can't use it. You wanted to conclude with some thoughts on Romans chapter 12. What are they? Well, again, I, I continue. As we've done this series, I've gotten feedback here and there, and I've gotten some really good feedback. Thank you, Pastor Fisk, for, for saying these things. It's very helpful. And I've gotten some other feedback. You know, Pastor Fisk, you're, you're really law-heavy on this. You're, you're telling us we have to do a bunch of stuff, and, and Christianity is not about that. And it worries me to hear that kind of talk, you know, that, that, that we shouldn't structure our children's lives, that we shouldn't fight for their good, even against them a little bit, as they, as sinners that they are, are uh, need a little uh, curbing and directing. And so I wanted to come back and, and look at Romans 12, verse 2 again, because it is a command, it is a bit of law, but it's such good law. It's law that only a Christian 
knowing you're standing in grace can just be inspired by and driven to. Or, or Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so both you have the reality of the structure there, like I was saying a moment ago, but notice what is the antidote to this world? It's the renewing of your mind. This is learning, right? This is growth in knowledge. Now, is it just knowledge of anything? No, it's the knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is coming again to do and what Jesus is still doing while we wait for him to return. But it's still awakening your mind to really be awake, to really be useful and usable. And in that, it doesn't leave you simply with the idea of grace. Although certainly that's the foundation, it's the place you stand, and it's your one and only hope for the last day. But it also awakens you to the design of creation around you, that your mind is renewed to see in the midst of the chaos the paradise that was supposed to be, and to lift up your hands to just kind of uh, back off a few of those thorns for the sake of the community in which you dwell and those around you, the nearest of those, of course, being the family. Right. And notice how we talked about scientific method, the rest of the verse, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Now what's the test? It's not pragmatics. It's not does it work. The testing he's talking about is by discerning from the scriptures what truth is and what falsehood is and then applying that to the world around you, which teaches you to then discern the truth in the world around you. Even the natural law that we kind of almost got to talking about a few moments ago and certainly is behind a lot of the best things that the rest of the world has to offer. Christians aren't the only ones to ever do good things. That's because others have found natural law. They've found the design built into creation, and they've embraced it. We, of all people, are more equipped to see and embrace it because our minds have been awakened by the grace in which we stand to no longer need to use it all for our self-justification, but justified, and knowing it's all going to fall apart anyway and turn to dust in our hands, use it anyway in the moment for the sake of those nearest to us and around us. And I'll tell you, Todd, it is, it is my prayer, it is my prayer that I do that, for my children, I know I fail, but it's what I want to pursue, is to be that kind of man to my children. And I want my children to be those kinds of people to the world. Because I do believe, with civilization looking as dark as it is, the next stage is not going to be pretty. If we don't have good men and women trained to love both law and gospel, standing as communities in the midst of it, and undissuaded by the skeptical doubts of the world around them, countering it with healthy doubts and the strong conviction that law and gospel gives. Pastor Jonathan Fisk hosts a radio program called Sharper Ironies, author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. You'll find a link to this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand or call Concordia Publishing House. They'd be happy to send you a copy of Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Their toll-free number, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Jonathan, thank you very much. Absolutely, appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to spend some time with Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel, teaching a Sunday school lesson. We're going all the way back to the beginning, the creation account in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and then part one of a series on men, women, and marriage. Pastor Jonathan Connor will join us. He, will, he has authored a booklet called Two Views of the World, a brief look at how and why men and women communicate. Stay tuned for teaching a Sunday school lesson.
what is a pietist? Do Lutherans fast? When our faith and our feelings go to war, who wins? Can a hymnal enrich your prayer life? What can medieval pilgrims teach Christians today about devotion? Find answers to these questions and more in the March issue of The Lutheran Witness. Subscribe to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's flagship magazine at cph.org witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran Christian perspective. We have a special offer for first-time donors to issues, etc. For any size gift during the months of January and February, we'll send you an autographed copy of Pastor Will Whedon's new book, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, Recover the Joys of Piety. Make your first-time contribution online at issuesetc.org or send your check to Issues Etc., Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234, and we'll send you an autographed copy of Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Hello, this is Pastor Kevin Golden of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village Lutheran are proud to be part of the Issues Etc. 300, sharing in their Christ-centered, cross-focused proclamation of the gospel. If you find yourself in St. Louis, join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.45 for the Divine Service, 9.30 for Bible study and Sunday school, as we receive Christ's gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Or visit us on the web at www.villagelutheranchurch.org. There are nearly 20 million college students in the United States. 40% will stop going to church during college. 50% will never return. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is seeking to meet this challenge through LCMSU. Why? Because 100% of college students matter to God and to His church. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. LCMSU. Check us out at lcms.org slash lcmsu.